It's recording. Oh, how's it going? <laughs> how's it going, guys? I need Bye-bye. a, uh, I need, I need a, uh, an indicator or something. Somebody can blow a foghorn. I'm just a little discombobulated because the the regular audio isn't working, and usually I'm in control of that. Boom, hit record, and so we're we're ripping from the video today. But anyway, um, how do you feel about not being in control? Uh, I actually. Uh, I am increasingly comfortable with not being in control. That's not, I know that that was a joke because I'm in control by pressing a button in this case, but. Are you going to do ayahuasca? No, no, I, that sounds like a nightmare. Uh, (laughs) I am not interested in that, but. Do you uh, think we could get David to do ayahuasca and just tell him it's Diet Coke? Well, if by get to do, you mean trick, maybe. (laughs) Hey Dave, dare you to drink some mud. (laughs) No, let's just put it in his Diet Coke. Come on, he's (laughs) not even. notice that. I think you can tell when you can tell when the syrup and carbonation balances off and lectures restaurants on that their diet coke isn't done right. That's true. Do you you have anything anything cool that because I kind of pulled out that the ten percent happier book last time? It just you you seem to light up at the idea of something cool. Do you have anything? I mean, not that. Um, Yeah, I'll give something cool that I know you think is cool too. Okay, well, that's my favorite kind of cool things because otherwise I'd just bitch at you about it. <laughs> yeah, so this, there's a show called uh, uh, Sync, uh, Working Moms. No G, Working Moms. Yes. Uh, that's on Netflix. <laughs> and it's, um, there's three seasons already, but only one on Netflix. So the other two have got to be coming soon. It's from Canadian TV. Uh, but it's, it's good. It's, it's by Catherine Reitman, who is Jason Reitman's sister and Ivan Reitman's daughter. Um, and, uh, it's just a smart comedy and it's got, I don't want to blow the punchline at all, but it has the, like the greatest opening setup. It's just really funny and it catches you off guard and it kind of sets up the, the personalities and the environment of the show in such a wonderful way. I just think it's got great storytelling and, uh, I really like the pilot and I just enjoyed season one a lot. Yeah. I, um, I, I actually have extra appreciation for that because as you know um i came to that show with a like a specific intention i wanted to we were we were watching um longer things and then we usually need kind of a, a short comedy to just like usually it's you know half an hour and everything was longer than than, than we wanted um for to close the night up up here in casa Trent, i guess anyway so um we we had been watching Shit's creek which is terrible it's like who who not only who greenlit that show but then who let it go on as a travesty for like five seasons or whatever it's been (laughs) it's it's such a terrible terrible show and so i was like i need to find anything else anything else and um found this and it's it's so by contrast it was amazing working moms dave oh okay have you seen that no it's good it's funny. I'm glad that my dogs are barking right outside. That's are I love we doing them. something cool or something. A little bit of character. We we are doing something cool. Do you have anything cool? Uh, I don't know if I already talked about it, but Umbrella Academy is really fucking awesome on Netflix. Oh, I heard good things about Umbrella Academy, but I also heard that that I should watch it with Austin, which I don't know if Sydney would like it. So we haven't made it yet on that one, but I've heard it's really good. Uh, yeah, it's really good. There is um, I don't remember if. There was, I don't think there was sex in it. If there was, it was very minimal. There is uh, a guy that is a drug addict and stuff. Um, there is some violence, so pretty graphic violence. Yeah, I don't care about it. Haley oh. just binged it. Yeah, it's really good. It, it started off a little slow, and it's one of those rare instances where 
like I always thought the, the problem with the Marvel shows on Netflix is that they were a few episodes too long. Uh, like it could have been compacted because it kind of, I, like, I agree with that. Same thing over and over. Um, so this is an area where I felt it could have been even longer um, or they could have dived a little deeper. It, it felt like, um, like some of the, like early on, I didn't, I wasn't into it yet. Cause it was just kind of like briefly touching on things. They were like hinting at stories uh, that were there, uh, which, which I like in some aspects, but they didn't really dive deep until a little bit later. And when they did, I really absolutely loved, you know, where they went with the story. And I felt that they could have, uh, gone even deeper. So you liked because they were using mystery boxes. Oh yeah, and uh, there's a lot of stuff that that plays out over the course of the series. You don't know why, you know, shit is going on. So it's really awesome, and I I love it. And yeah, go watch it. What a perfect entree. Things interest Dave when they have mystery boxes in them. <laughs> John, do you want to set up? In the last episode, it was it was how to teach an old Dave new tricks. Um, which I do kind of like as a title, but, uh, this, as it pertains specifically to the idea of mystery boxes, which you led into at our last storyteller meeting. Um, wait, I'm sorry. This, this, well, I just wanted you to do the setup because if we just talk blandly about mystery box storytelling, then it's, it's us picking a topic and educating projection. And I, I want to relate it. Well, I was talking about how, uh, how, I really embrace mystery box storytelling, but I think that, and Johnny, tell me if I'm too off course, because I think you may want to address some of this stuff actually later in the show, but, but I feel like mystery box storytelling is a, just a wonderful tool. It's one of my favorites as a storyteller. It's one of my favorites as a consumer. However, I think it's, it can be done very poorly. And, um, you know, that's what you've heard us refer to as Hurley birds. And we'll talk about that during the show for sure. But I think that that mystery box storytelling needs to have that other end. It needs to have closure. It needs to be complete. It needs to have, you know, the beginning and the middle and an end. And it can't just be mystery box, mystery box, mystery box. And so we were talking about this um, during one of our story meetings this week because um, I, I was noticing just the the difference in the way that Dave and I handle mystery box storytelling. And, uh, you know, I, I'm always like, it doesn't matter how crazy we got out there. Um, Johnny and I definitely have a way of loving the mystery box and close giving it closure. And we figure that no matter how wild the mystery box gets, that's the closure. Like we'll eventually get there. Um, and we'll tell our story until it gets to a place where it sort of feels inevitable and it doesn't have to be mapped out ahead of time. Uh, but it does take, it does take work to add that closure. And the story that I was telling, it takes familiarity. I'll let you tell the, the, the story about the story that you were telling, but I think that you have to know where to balance it because um, I know in on writing, Stephen King talks about, well, people who plot, he said, is just for me, it just feels overly controlly. Every story goes somewhere. I just tell the story. And I'm like, well, so that's why a lot of Stephen King endings kind of fall flat because he doesn't necessarily think about the stuff in advance, if, at least for what we've seen from him. So it feels like it's, it is a balance. And I've thought about this a little since you talked about it on the meeting where opening mystery, but also having some sort of meta level awareness of what's going on in the wider story. Yeah, because there's two things, and, and this is this is the problem: is that you want to have an idea about where you're going, but not feel like 
there's something wrong with the story because it went a different place because that's part of it. So we never, we never start a story without having an ending in mind ever. Like we have some ending in mind. Uh, actually the story that I just wrote, I didn't know what the ending would be at all. <laughs> all right. Well, or rather you had given me an ending, but I knew I didn't want to use it. Okay. Well, th- that's fine. That that's still fine too. There, there's an ending there and there's all the notes that drive towards it with an understanding that something can go completely sideways. Something can completely change. Because if you have to know what that ending is, and then you have to get there by some way, only one of two things can happen. Either you're going to contort your story unnaturally so that it doesn't feel right. It's discordant with the reader because it has to bend to your whim. Or, um, you know, it's, it's not going to be fun. Or you're going to feel like your story's a failure, even if it's a success. Because it has an ending that you didn't map out. For me, that compass, I think, comes from theme and character arc. So, um, I like symmetry in my stories, meaning that at the beginning, if somebody is in a situation and they've they've made a choice of some sort that isn't the the quote-unquote right choice, it isn't, they're they're doing something in line with their, their flaw, their wound, and it isn't maybe, you know, from a storyteller's perspective, like the one we would want them to make, I want a similar choice at the end that is the opposite that is taken from a place of having healed that wound um, or theme and slash, or I think that they play together the theme of, so for instance, the, the book that we just wrote, there was kind of a repeating element of alienation, self-imposed alienation and loneliness. Somebody who's keeping themselves isolated. So it seemed natural. Once I kind of saw that, that that was a repeating thing that whatever happened at the end, he was going to have to do something that caused him to be brave and step out so that he wasn't alienating. He wasn't not alienating. He wasn't sequestering himself. He wasn't walling himself off. He wouldn't be lonely. And so I think that as I operate, as you were saying, kind of on faith and, and understanding the mystery boxes and the endings will come, it's always in the back of my head so that I know I, what, what didn't work about that original ending was that it was kind of a twilight zone ish ending in a way that felt like it just kind of ended to me. It, it didn't, it didn't result. He didn't change. It felt more it like a short story ending than a, than a book ending. Right. I mean, a twilight zone ending is, you know, Oh, I have all the books in the world. Nobody will bother me because there's been a nuclear war, but Oh no, my glasses broke. And then it's over or something like that. And black mirror has some of that, but, but not, not as much. There's usually some thematic closure, although they really do use that a lot. Like the one with, although that episode of Bryce Dallas Howard, this was a black mirror style story for context. Right. So, but actually I'm, I'm, I'm kind of going back and forth on this, I guess a little bit. So that episode with Bryce Dallas Howard, I think it was called downslide or something like that. Downfall. Downfall where she has, uh, you know, they're all in the future and she's got, um, uh, they have social media scores that are kind of like everybody's rating each other. And so you have a certain, score and so everybody's real aware of rating somebody nicely so that they will rate you well so that they, you won't get shit like on a yelp and, for social interactions right right and so you know she'll interact with somebody at a coffee shop and they'll rate each other and everybody can see everybody else's ratings and it causes a social stratification where people treat each other differently based on their ratings and she has one bad event that spirals into a worse event and a worse event. And she ends up like really, really far down and in, in the dregs, but, and not to spoil this for anybody, although if you don't want to hear it, then tune out um, because I will spoil it. 
at the end, she's so far down. She, it's not like she comes back up. It's not like suddenly she gets her points back. It's that she learns um, that it's kind of comfortable down here where there are no expectations. Actually, I could make a Dave joke at this point because he's <laughs> talked about not making expectations. Um, but, uh, oh, it looked like he was going to do it again. But, um, but yeah, I mean, so there is a twist there. There is, there's this pride at the beginning, and then there's this willingness acceptance that maybe it doesn't matter what everybody thinks. So there is still an arc. And I feel like I went way off track there, but I think that that's, that's a satisfying ending rather than an ending where you're go, 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 go. And then you just stop. Well, so the, the, the idea on mystery boxes is that you, you can keep delivering them, keep delivering them and keep delivering them. And that that's always more exciting than whatever is in them. Maybe we should explain what a mystery box is. So, okay. So anybody (laughs) who's listening to this, go ahead and Google the, uh, the JJ Abrams Ted talk. I think it's from 2007. Um, and he talks all about mystery boxes. We should do the whole episode and not say what it is and leave that a mystery. (laughs) We'll just come back to the beginning and insert a voiceover of days saying these dumbasses never explained what it was. Fast forward to this time index and listen. Um, come uh, back. So, you know, he talks about when his grandpa, you know, bought him this like mystery box from a magic shop and it had stuff in it and he would never open it because he knew that whatever was inside was never going to be as awesome as wondering. It was Schrodinger's and, dead cat. I mean, if that's a real story, like I'm a little, I mean, I get it. It's a great point, but I'm a little annoyed with JJ because who the fuck doesn't open a box? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's his point. It's the, you know, it was the, the, the mystery to him was just always better. And so if you look at his shows, like and then he opening it was a hamster and it died because he didn't open it. I, I'm going to, I'm going to go out to dinner tonight, but I'm really looking forward to it. So I'm not actually going to eat. <laughs> just going to keep anticipating. Well, I, I think that it works, but the problem is that it doesn't, there's not follow through often. And JJ Abrams is great at starting stuff, not so great at finishing it. Yeah, a lot and, of his projects are like that box never got opened. No, exactly. Right. <laughs> and so he had, like, okay, what was um, Alias was the first thing that I loved that JJ Abrams did. But he would, like, that was a mystery box theater, right? You had the, all that shit with Rombaldi, and it was all like, I'm your mother, I'm your grandpa, like, you've been trained as a spy, I was here from, like, that, all that shit that Vaughn pulled in the end of season three when the car crashes, and he's like, I've known you since day one. It was just mystery boxes, and he didn't know what he was doing. He did it even better in Lost, but it's all, like, when he started that, he opened up all these boxes, and then you guys figure it out. I think with Alias, though, the networks really interfered with that show, like what they wanted it to be. Because I, I remember a lot of the discussion at the time, like how the network, especially when it was going to get a post-Super Bowl show. So they did oh, this I whole remember, super sexy remember, thing. and yeah. I remember the reboot, all of that, but that still doesn't change any of it. Yeah. He's, He's a he's a mystery box dude, right? And he's so, a fan of serials, so you know. Yeah, he it's the a way very he old fashioned Star sort Trek of thing. was awesome, but it's really apparent if you look at it with the Force Awakens, <clears> right? <throat> and and this is what we were talking about on the during the um the the the, the story room meeting was that like what he he has an interesting job ahead of him right now because he has to close uh, Star Wars Episode Nine and make it awesome right he has a lot of heavy lifting to do and he's never done that before he's never closed it he's the guy who opens mystery boxes he doesn't close them and for nine to be satisfying 
it really needs to have closure. It needs to close out a lot of these boxes. And you could really tell the difference in storytelling style going from episode seven to episode eight with J.J. Abrams versus Ryan Johnson. And J.J. Uh, uh, Abrams has, you know, it's all storytelling or it's all sto- mystery box with like Snoke and, you know, Lei having uh, the, the light, Luke's lightsaber and just all, like, there's just so many mystery boxes that are open in Force Awakens. And then Ryan Johnson comes in and he's clearly trying to clean some shit up. He's like, Snoke, don't matter. Boom. <laughs> oh, you know what's special about Ray? Nothing. Right? And it's just like, oh, why is Luke here? Stupid answer. That and, didn't piss anyone off. <laughs> right. And it was just like, they should have, like, that was jarring. That was, that was a very jarring storytelling style shift. It wasn't that that eight was a bad movie on its own merit. It's that it had to undo all of this other work. And now uh, Abrams has to come in there and make it all make sense for episode nine and look, make it look round and have closure. So that's a hard thing to do. Yeah. I didn't see the last season of fringe yet, but I've heard a lot of people say it was really good. And that might be something he closed out. Oh, okay. Wow. That would that that would be awesome. I would like to see that. So, um, so a mystery box is just it's introducing something into the story um, that teases something bigger to come. So, th- probably like a really really clear example of this that most people listening to this probably understand is the hatch in Lost. The hatch was a fantastic mystery box. You f- you see this little piece of it. And then, you know, they're, they, Locke finds it. And then, you know, there's this, this. They spend a whole season excavating it. Right, right. And you just, you got to know what's in there. And then season two opens and then you see what's in there. But now there's this button and it counts down every 108 minutes. Now you have a new mystery box that's even better than the last mystery box. Now, the, the problem is at some point when you just, there's more mystery boxes than answers and things get unwieldy. And, you know, I think that we've had a tendency to do that, right? We so, very much did. Yeah. And it, you can tell, at least I can tell, because the storytelling starts to feel cumbersome. It's the difference between taking a walk at sea level and taking a walk up in the mountains where the air is heavier. It's something like that. It's like, oh, this is just, just, it's not, I, honestly, the, the, um, the robot series is a little bit like that right now. And I think that's why it's given me a little bit of trouble is we opened up too much stuff, even though we cleared the decks on a lot of stuff. And I think that, um, that's We're why, so much better about that now though. Yeah, but. we are. And the problem is that's an existing series. So if I, if I just, I mean, just to, just to pivot a little bit here, um, it, it is Sean and I are working with a, a third party on a, a project right now. And it's, it's a really complicated concept like the con- the concept itself is compl- is complicated and there's been a few times during the um th- during the talking about this where we've tried to lean on it we've considered leaning on a trope uh, or saying something that's really kind of on the nose like do we want to just go ahead and just outright not mystery box this right there was a point where we had somebody actually say a line about of dialogue out loud that we're t- talking about that's basically just saying exactly what the audience needs to know at that moment which normally would come off as clunky, but considering how complicated a lot of the ideas are, it's almost like you, you're relieved for that moment of sympathy or simplicity. 
Right. It's a little like if you had one disorderly area in your house and that was just kind of like your creative space, like, you know, your, your creative studio. And it was, it was crazy and disorderly and that's fine because it's one space. But then if your entire house is disorderly, it's like, you can't find anything. And that's a little bit how I feel in, in a book that got overcomplicated is I can't find anything in this book anymore. I don't know how to focus on the mystery because I'm too worried about the crap. I don't know. I don't know. Um, so, so effective use of mystery box. Well, I think it's balance is there. And I think you have to have respect for your audience. So yeah, they're really looking forward to this answer. Give them an answer. Um, and, and do it, do it respectfully. I mean, we could talk a little bit about Hurley birds, which is, I I like to call them gross and ugly before giving them the answer. (laughs) The, the, the the Hurley birds is what we've done. We've, referred to this problem internally forever and that's in the the season two finale of lost um uh, hurley and jack and kate are walking down this like hillside to go meet the others and this bird swoops out of nowhere and goes hurley and that's it i've heard that (laughs) hurley impression almost as many times i've heard gordon ramsay go damn Damn. <laughs> so, um, uh, and, and it's like, okay, I mean, this is on an episode that also introduces a large Egyptian-looking statue with only three toes and some other really cool things. And it's almost like there, there was already enough cool things. There was zero need for a bird. <laughs> Maybe he was really, really high. <laughs> it's possible. It's totally possible. But like you don't need that hurly bird. Like the How show- awesome would it have been in like one of the later seasons if some there'd been some line of dialogue and somebody said, Dude, do you remember when Hurley was high and thought a bird said his name? And that was it. That's the only <laughs> See, okay, all right. That would have been totally acceptable to me. Because at least you're addressing it. The other is just like lazy storytelling, because there was no need for that. Like, if you're going to introduce something random and bizarre and, like, have no intent on ever answering it, it better be some ninja awesome shit, right? Like, a, like with the polar bear running. Okay, they, they did end up explaining that, which was awesome. But at least but doesn't that's... doesn't it feel like they... The, I know you're making a point. I didn't mean to interrupt. But the, the polar bear <laughs> thing to me sounds a little like, like what you and I would do where we're like, dude, we have that polar bear. We have to explain the polar bear. And then we're like... I don't know. They had a zoo. Like it doesn't. It's not really a good explanation. No, no, no. That that's not the, that's not how they explained the, the the polar bear. It was a or, or is it? I'm I actually, thought it. Well, I know I that there remember. was a zoo. Was the zoo something special? No. It, yes, they 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 brought it in for a reason. But but there was actually no. That was the dead polar bear in Tanzania. Remember? This I don't is know. so off topic. Immature. It doesn't even matter. Yeah. The the, the point is that I think you. You des- your audience deserves those answers. You as a storyteller can pull your shenanigans and be like, I'll explain this later. But you can't just forget about it and you can't be sloppy as to how you um, go about those explanations. Now, and something that, well, real quick, Dave, because you said this in the last episode, which it, you're absolutely right. Dave was talking about um, some of the, the way that he approaches mystery boxes now. And there's definitely a timid hand that he has. He, he, he wants to know things ahead of time, which 
to me at this point feels like definitely an impediment to the story. Like I've, I've definitely seen the opposite true over and over where not worrying about that stuff, telling the story, but having faith that the answers will come is a, a, a more graceful way to do it. But Dave was saying in the last episode, yeah, but yesterday's gone gave me PTSD because we did that too much. And then we had to clean all that up and it became convoluted and hard to manage. So I think that those are two extremes. You have too many mystery boxes, and because Dave and I do care about closing them in the right way, it got really hard. Dave or Johnny and I are having this, will have the same exact problem with the beam, which is why. Oh my God. Yeah. You got to slash that fucking knot. Yeah. It's it why. It's so complicated. It's so complicated. There's nothing. And the dream engine. Dream engine is stupid complicated too. There's nothing in the, in the Sterling and Stone catalog more complicated than the beam. It has the most characters. It has the most ridiculous timeline. I mean, the, the dream engine is complicated, but the beam is just next level. And we opened a lot of mystery boxes. The difference with, I mean, dream engine, we did blow, we put a bomb in the closet at the end of that book, at least. So there's a lot of stuff handled for what needs to go forward, but mystery boxes abound in the beam. And it's kept us away. Like every time we're like, God, that's a really good commercial property that we could open as a world. And Johnny's like, oh my God, but are you kidding me? <laughs> because there's, it's, it's a mystery box problem. So I think this is about finding the balance, which is how many mystery boxes do we keep open um, so that the readers are really interested? And, and by the way, this really works best for the seri- serials by far, like, don't try to do mystery boxes in a standalone, except for chapter to chapter to chapter. You can, absolutely. But by the end of your book, you really need to have closed all of your boxes. In a serial, which is one of the reasons serial episodes are so much more fun, um, and Dave and I are getting back to some serialization because it is fun, um, and we'll actually be writing them that way, uh, you get to play a lot more. If it's a series book, same thing. It's you, you can close them, but you can only have like one or two open at the end of the book. And they have to be immediately addressed in the next book. Um, unless there's like a series large, you know, mystery box that, you know, you answer a little bit at a time. But it really is balance. And I think that when you're like on the amateur side of it, you're so fueled by enthusiasm and the idea that you as the storytelling God can do anything that you do and it can get very unwieldy. I just realized, uh, you know, one, one of the things, uh, one of the critiques of my output has been, you know, we worked so much faster back in, you know, 2011, 2012. And I realized because we were pantsing so much shit but when it came time to resolve those things, then it became a slower process. I suddenly, like, uh, there's a few, like, in Yesterday's Gone season uh, three or four, I don't remember. There was just a lot of shit that was like, okay, now I got to figure that out and that out. And mm-hmm. and sometimes you make a mistake and it's just, so now I'm, uh, yeah, I am gun check because I don't want, because it was such a process to try to figure it all out and it, yeah, so it's difficult for me to like find the sweet spot in between. 
Yeah, but you will. I, I think that's just a matter of doing it. And, and I mean, I can show you some stuff today, dude, if you want to see. You're not the storyteller you were seven years ago. You're, you're just, you're not. Am right? I better or worse? Oh, oh, no, much better. I mean, <laughs> okay. As far as the way the idea, I mean, the writing itself is, is kind of, oh, oh, wait, I can think there's one line. Let me see if I can remember it today. Um, it was... It was Brent, and he was looking... Okay, it was Brent, and he meets Melora. And this is the introduction to Melora. She looked like a doctor or a scientist, and he was usually uh, right about stuff like that. Oh, that's <laughs> so goddamn painful. I, I can't go back and read that. <laughs> right. And I, I want to rewrite the whole thing. I know. I was just laughing because I'm like, oh, my God, this would just... I can't, I can't imagine you writing it. I can't imagine me letting you get away with it, right? Like, on both levels, like, that copy would not exist. But, like, again, I mean, it's awesome that it does. It, it shows that I think it's important that it does. I think it's important to see that your, your growth comes from somewhere. Yeah, it would know? be more depressing if you realized that you hadn't gotten any better. Right, right. Like, now, don't, don't be cringy about that. Be like, like, that's our first thing ever, and we have grown a lot since then. Now, one thing, there, there is one thing. Like, sometimes I like when some mysteries aren't resolved because there are things the characters would never know. Like the Hurley bird thing, he might never know why the bird did that. Okay, so, that's fine. But you know as well as I do that that was not why that was. It has no, probably it was a mistake because it got point. so many different writers and shit gets dropped very easily. Yes. Uh, but so, so, okay, when we were, we were mapping out our big robot world, and um, that was, this was our second world builder. So a lot of storytellers in the room, and we're basically talking about, um, there was something that we had to decide on for the world. And we, we basically decided that, yes, we're going to do this, but people who read never need to know about it, ever. It doesn't matter. But we as the storytellers need to know because that makes it true. So we all can universally believe in this thing, whether the reader knows it or not. And it gives it like an honesty to the, to the entire world, right? And I think that that's when you open mystery boxes, you have to have some idea or some notion where that's going. Or at least keep it top of mind that, okay, I loved how I introduced that because it was such a bizarre concept at the time, but I have to come back to it. Because uh, for those of you who remember, you know, uh, Matt Champagne is our survey friend. Um, and he says the number one mistake <clears throat> make when they, they send out these surveys is that there's no closure. And humans want closure so much. Meaning that know, people and, don't circle back and say, you guys asked for this, so I'm delivering it, or I at least heard it, or something like that. Right. So like, oh, okay, I gave you my time. I answered a hundred questions. Like Amazon made me so mad because they sent me this long ass survey. And I feel like I have a lot to contribute to an Amazon survey. I talked to a ton of authors. We publish a ton of books. I, I have something to say. And like, I spent like two hours on this survey and didn't even get a, you know, survey you they, know, they just sent another one out recently yeah dave right. can you do a drawing of uh sean trying to run up to kick a football while amazon holds it <laughs> it was just you know it's it's ridiculous and you know i said you know here's my phone number here's my email address if you want any clarification on any of this stuff and i feel like you know <laughs> all right james looking <laughs> um so so anyway i think that that mystery boxes can be <clears throat> really abused by storytellers 
um, especially as they've been popularized over um, over the last several years. Um, but done well, I, I think it's a fantastic mode of storytelling that really engages an audience. I think the trick is, well, let me put it this way. I think that the more boxes you plan to open, the better that you as the storyteller need to know all the truth and have it basically written down or categorized somewhere. So the book that Sean and I will have coming out um, sometime later this year has a ton of mystery boxes at the beginning because it's a bunch of strangers or we think they're strangers who meet and there are reactions between them and, and subtext <clears throat> that the reader isn't going to understand or rather they will understand what the subject is, but not why. So, um, you know, two, two old friends meet and then the, uh, wife of one of them is clearly acting poorly against the, the guy that she's supposedly just reunited with or just met or something. And, and you're like, why is she being a bitch? Why is she? And, and, and there's a bunch of things like that. And the reason is because, you know, she knows something that he doesn't know. She knows it's this whole thing about what people know and what they're aware of. But, but we had a very, very complicated, not complicated, but complex, like thorough pre-planning package for that story because we needed to know what everybody knew, what everybody didn't know, what, and and so, and those early things, I went back and rewrote, uh, I went back and wrote, I rewrote them after like getting further into the story, came back because I wanted to add that subtext. So I think that you can do that because there are a ton of them. Like somebody will say something and somebody will say, is that what you really meant or something? And you're like, what the hell does that mean? Or just a slip of the tongue, somebody will make a Freudian slip. And so, but it was necessary for that story, but it required so much preparation. If that makes any sense. I don't think you can do it freewheeling. No, your dog agrees. (laughs) (laughs) I I think that uh, it's something you can get better at over time. Um, But probably in the beginning, it should be uh, less is more like it, 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 because it can get, uh, you can regret it. You can for sure regret it. And it, it can come off as amateur, you know, if you don't close it in the right ways. And I think that, that, you know, Dave and I have done a good job in closing it. I also like, um, you know, one of the reasons I wanted uh, white space, for example, to have more seasons than it did is because it gives you more time to, to close loops. You can get a little bit crazier and you have a little bit more time to make things naturally make sense rather than everything has to get solved really quickly. Because to me, especially in the beginning, and again, it's, it's, this is recent insight. You know, I didn't, I didn't know this when we were in season two of white space, it would have helped me to understand that, that division where I'm always pushing big ideas and, and Dave is pushing restraint. Um, and now I understand that and, and I understand. Well, I was going to say, it, 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 there's part of me that hears, uh, like all the, all the fandoms of the various shows and movies and stuff and all the mythologies. One of the biggest complaints is they get is, Oh, they're just making this shit up as they go along. And there's part of me that wants to always know at least somewhat where I'm going. So I don't fall into that trap. Um, so I don't create something that looks like I'm just shitting it out. Like, woohoo! <laughs> yes, but but also that acknowledge that that might be a false belief. Like, oh even yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 I making it up as they go along, right? 
Yeah. Like you can't map things out because the, the characters tell you something differently. The story tells you something differently, but I agree on having an idea. I think that that's really important. Yeah. And even when I have mapped things out, you know, it, it does change because I think of something better. I think of, you know, the character suggests something better. So always, always, yeah. always, always. I mean, that's, I think that's writing 101. All right. Well, that's the show. Thank you, everybody, for listening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess. Do you don't want to introduce a mystery box here at the end? <laughs> Stay tuned for the very, the very special mystery box in our next episode. What's in your mystery box? Dave, we should have a segment called What's in Dave's Mystery Box? <laughs> Every week, I'll open up a new box. It'll be pain and would that be the Would that be the Unboxing Dave episode? Yes, we'll do that. Can you imagine a mystery box unboxing video? It'd be the worst thing ever. It's just going like, to unbox <laughs> never get to the product. My mystery did, box has a Nutribullet in it. I did see an unboxing of, um, I'm not even kidding, this was a, an article about, an, they, they had tracked down J.J. Abrams' original mystery box um, to show what was like what was in it because they you know the packaging from this magic shop um, and it was really shitty. <laughs> it was like he was way better off waiting. There's a piece of paper that said "sucker." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, basically, like really, really shitty magic. This box. is a life lesson, kid. Nothing good comes from waiting. Pretty <laughs> much. All right. So thanks for listening to the Story Studio podcast. We'll see you on whatever mysterious thing occurs in the next episode. And uh, coming soon, return of the live shows. Ooh. Oh, no. I believe the plan is uh, to send out an email, but it's as if I know the plans. But that'll be fun. It'll we'll be get back mystery. into that. That is awesome. All right. Well, All right. buongiorno. Ciao. <laughs> buongiorno <laughs> means hello. But okay. <laughs> Buongiorno. I can say hello. I say hello to hello goodbye like a beetle. All right. Arrivederci. All right. So we'll uh we'll see you later, guys. Thanks for listening. Adios.